1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, David's lie to the priest comes back to haunt him and causes a great tragedy, as Saul does the unthinkable. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 6. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 6. All
2: right, 1 Samuel 22. Back up in verse 6. When Saul heard that David was discovered, we will get to Saul's reaction in a moment, but first we need to establish where he's at. For it mentions that he's abode. Again, that word sit down. He's just brooding. He is brooding under a tree, the tree is a tamarisk tree. They have them in Israel. There's these large shady trees, very common resting places in Israel because you want to get shade over there. And so they didn't have AC back then. So they hung out under these trees for coolness and for shade. And it mentions it's in Rama, That's the same word as Samuel's hometown, but it's written slightly differently in the Hebrew here. And so this way, it just means it's a big, huge hill. So he's up on this hill. He's got his spear in his hand. And remember, Saul's constantly suspicious. He always saw threats around him. And I love what David Guzik said. He said, when Saul had a spear in his hand, it usually meant he was going to try to hurt somebody. And so this is not a, a happy meeting, Okay he has called his official staff, all of his captains, all of his important VIPs in the government. And he's called them and he's got a spear out, which means somebody's going to get hurt. He's not happy. He says, I know where David is. And how come none of you told me? Then Saul said to his servants that stood about him here now, you Benjamites. That's interesting. Because that means Saul didn't trust anyone outside his tribe. He had rewarded only his tribal countrymen with high positions in his kingdom. No one from any of the other tribes. He calls them all Benjamites. Here now, you Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make all of you captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? That all of you have conspired against me? The word here conspired means to rise up in a planned, coordinated rebellion. And on what basis does he make this accusation? First, he says, none of you informed me about Jonathan's covenant with David. None of you have showed me that my son is in a league with David. The word there shows means to uncover or to reveal. How how come you didn't tell me about this, that he he cut a covenant with David? The second second piece of evidence is he says, none of you feel sorry for me. The word there means to feel grief, anxiety, or concern. None of you are worried about me. None of you feel bad for me. None of you concerned for the danger I'm in. What danger are you in, Saul? The word narcissist is thrown around way too much these days, but Saul is the real deal. Narcissism is defined as this, a personality of selfishness involving a sense of entitlement, a lack of empathy, and a need for admiration. <laughs> That's all. (laughs) I mean, he is so needy and he doesn't see anything around him. He doesn't perceive any of the hurts around him. All he has is thoughts for himself. Now, this statement, my second piece of evidence is, none of you feel bad for me. That is a manipulative means of communication. That's an unacceptable form of communication for a Christian. And when we do, exercise that type of communication, it grieves the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us, "...let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption." The idea of let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. All of our communication should always be pure, undefiled by manipulation. It should never be corrupted, perverted, twisted. It should never be different than, like, I shouldn't be saying one thing but mean something else. Never. That should never happen in my communication. You know, if David has a fixed heart in this chapter, Saul's is a broken down heart still because of his stubborn decision to maintain his way of doing things, to never repent, he is stuck in this state of selfishness. Well, his third charge is the most ridiculous of all. He says, and none of you shows to me, none of you has uncovered, revealed, you knew about this plan, but none of you has revealed it to me, that my servant, he's referring to David, uh, that, oh, and that my son has stirred up my, my servant. He, so Jonathan has stirred up David against me to lie in wait, to set an ambush, As at this day, there is an ambush happening. Do you even care there's an ambush happening today? I had to come and bring you around me. None of you told me about it. If this was true, that all these other men knew about the ambush and didn't tell him, why on earth does Saul believe they won't just kill him now? These are ridiculous reasons for Saul's accusation. David isn't planning an ambush And why would they be concerned for a man who's never been in any danger from David? Well, despite this reality, someone's going to get a spear in the face if one of them doesn't speak up. And so Doeg takes the opportunity to gain favor and to deflect Saul's ire elsewhere. Look at verse 9. Then answered Doeg the Edomite. Remember, we saw him earlier in chapter 21. He saw David when David was lying to Ahimelech, right, to get help from Ahimelech. He saw that all go down. And it says, then answered Doeg the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him victuals and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Now, all of this is true except for one very important part. Verse 10, Doeg says he saw Ahimelech. Inquire of the Lord for David. In other words, to seek direction from God about what to do through the use of the Urim and the Thummim. Now, we don't know what these two things were. We know they were part of the high priest's garb. Some people believe that they were a black stone and a white stone, and that was how you said, Hey, Lord, do you want us to go and do this? And if you pulled out the white stone, the answer was yes. Pulled out the black stone, the answer was no. I don't know if that's the case. However, Whatever the Urim and the Thummim was, that's the idea of how it was used. You'd ask a question, and based on which one was pulled out, whatever they were, I can tell you what they weren't. They weren't funky glasses that were used to translate Reformed Egyptian into the Book of Mormon. That's for sure. But whatever they were, that's what they were used for, to say yes or no. And so basically, Doeg is accusing Ahimelech of treachery. He consulted with Ahimelech about his problems with you, and Ahimelech helped him out. Told him what the Lord wanted him to do, to escape your hand. Now, Ahimelech, we have no record of him doing this for David. But again, accusing Ahimelech of doing so was tantamount to treachery, which to Saul means, well, then Ahimelech must know where David is. But when Saul hears this, he doesn't just summon the high priest. He summons every priest from the city of Nob. Look at verse 11. It says, Then the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, a son of Ahitub, and that's opposed to a hot tub, and all of his father's house, the priests that were in Nob, and they came, all of them, to the king. Eighty-five men came to see the king. And Saul said, Hear now, thou son of Ahitub.'" And he answered, Here I am, my lord. So Ahimelech, being respectful. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword, and you have inquired of God for him that he should rise against me to lie in wait as at this day? You've counseled about how to ambush me today. Why did you do this? Why did you betray me? Verse 14. Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all your servants, as David, which is the king's son-in-law, and goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Why wouldn't I help David? I had no reason to think that you guys were having issues. The word there, interestingly enough, when he says who goes at your bidding, the word there, bidding, is a very interesting word in Hebrew. It means an elite soldier who is devoted to protect the life of their king. He says, King Saul... You're asking me why I would help David. Who's like David? I mean, David is, he's like your personal bodyguard. I mean, he's the one you trust more than anybody. He's the one who is your own son-in-law. He's the most honorable person in all your house. Why wouldn't I help him? And there is a sense too where Ahimelech is saying, Saul, you're, you're wrong about David. He's not conspiring against you. He doesn't want to ambush you. He told me he was working for you. He is loyal and trustworthy, and he has protected you the entire time he's been in your service, distinguishing himself above everyone else under your command. Why would I have any reason to doubt? He was nothing but loyal to you. And then he points out the discrepancy. He goes, yeah, I gave him bread. I gave him the sword. But did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Ahimelech denies this charge. He never gave David access to the Urim and the Thummim. David may be a good man, but he's not the king. He says, be it far from me. I did not do that. Let not the king impute anything unto his servant. Let not the king make a legal accusation against his servant. You've done wrong to accuse us of this, nor to all the house of my father, for your servant knew nothing of all this, less or more. I don't know anything about an ambush, and less or more means smaller, significant. I don't know anything about any problems you have with David, and I certainly don't know anything about an ambush. Whatever the problem you have with David has nothing to do with me or my family. But Saul, he doesn't see it that way. And despite the fact that all these problems that are in his heart, the reason he's suspicious started from his suspicious heart. Despite that fact, he actually convinces himself that David and Ahimelech and all the priests are the ones who are in the wrong. Verse 16, and the king said, you shall surely die. It is doubled in the Hebrew, which means, so I've already brought legal charges. This isn't this wasn't This wasn't me talking to you. This was a trial and I've already found you and your entire family guilty. You shall surely die, Himelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said unto the footmen that stood around him, turn and slay the priests of the Lord because their hand also is with David and because they knew when he fled and did not show it to me. Even if you didn't consult the ermine that threw him, doesn't matter. You knew enough that you should have told me about this and you didn't. You're traitors. Now, Saul is asking these footmen, the word there means message runners. These are the lowest ranking soldiers in the army. It's not that they're not soldiers, but these are not they're not executioners. They're not Bodyguards, these are message runners. These are probably very young men who who are, are just new to the army and, and and their basic function is to run messages for all these aides who are here, all these councilmen who are here, all these high-ranking officials. And Saul says turn, which means surround them, encircle them, and kill all the priests of the Lord. Now this is absolute madness. And and given the king's demonic fits. <laughs> The messengers, it says, the servants of the king, they would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. Knowing the king's demonic fits, they they refused to listen. No, we're not going to kill God's priests. So Saul decides to turn to the one man who'd been loyal to him in this meeting. Verse 18, and the king said to Doeg, you turn, which is, again, just a really awkward statement. You surround them. How is one guy going to surround 85 people? You surround them and fall upon the priests. I'm not sure how Saul expected one man to surround a group, but this is just another sign of his frenzied rage. He's not making any sense because nothing he's doing makes any sense. And you know, when I'm not honest enough with myself to see I'm acting selfish and foolish, there is nothing that can be done for me. When I'm not honest with myself, nothing. Some of the most important moments in life or when you realize what's coming out of your mouth or you see your actions and you stop and say to yourself, That's that's dumb. <laughs> that's that's wrong. Like that's foolish. That doesn't make any sense. Because that's the first step to repentance. I've been married for to be twenty five years this July. And when we first got married, I said a lot of stupid things and didn't realize how dumb they were. But it's funny how we fight now. There'll be times when things are getting a little heated, some intense fellowship, we don't argue. <laughs> We're having some intense fellowship and uh, I'll say something and she'll look at me and I'll just start laughing. Because I'm like, that was, that was really, that was unintelligent. <laughs> I was like, that was unfair, wrong, just absolutely absurd. I am making no sense. I am sorry. Will you please forgive me? Because that's the first step to, to making things Right. It's the first step to getting a fixed heart instead of remaining broken down. We we treat certain things like a disease today, and I I do think that some things are. But narcissism is not a disease or a mental disorder. Narcissism is a sinful mindset that needs to be repented of. But because Saul is nowhere near that point. He not only does this wicked thing, for it says, Doig the Edomite turned, and he fell upon the priest and slew on that day, 85 persons that wore linen ephod, killed 85 priests. Not only does Saul do that wicked thing, but he goes 10 steps farther into evil. Look at verse 19. And Nob, the city of the priests, he smote with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and nursing babies and oxen and donkeys and sheep. All of them he smote with the edge of the sword. Now, we've read about that behavior before when God sent Israel to deal with the Canaanites, right? When that was done to a city, it was called being dedicated to the ban. A city was dedicated to the ban. In other words, no spoils could be taken and no one was spared because the city was irreparable. God had given them 400 years to repent, 400 years of reasoning with them, and there was no other option available. They would not change. That's how Saul treats Nob. He actually tells his soldiers that this city is dedicated to the ban. It is dedicated to destruction because of how evil it is. He killed all of God's servants under the guise that God commanded them to do so because the city had become too wicked. Because that's the only way he was able to convince his soldiers to do such a heinous deed. Now, this shows us just how unimportant Saul viewed a relationship with God. Because if there are no priests... How is Israel going to be in a right relationship with God? How is any Israeli going to have a relationship with God if there's no one who can make the offerings, if there's no one who can be the mediator between God and men? There is a sense in this chapter where both the messianic line and the high priestly line are under threat. And in doing so, Saul becomes a tool of Satan used for the purpose of nullifying God's plan and God's promises. Now, while that sounds ominous, here's the good news. You can't nullify God's plans and God's promises. That's impossible. He's God. He's all-powerful. He knows the end from the beginning. No one's ever getting the drop on God. And thus, at least one priest slips out of Saul's grasp. Look at verse 20. And one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priests. Why does he go to find David? Well, he's as much a fugitive as David and all his men are now. I mean, where else is he going to find anyone who'll take him in? And when Abiathar finds David, the news he delivers devastates David because David knows this is largely his fault. Look at verse 22. And David said unto Abiathar, I knew it that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. This is my fault. Now, back up for a second. David, when he hears this news, he says, I knew it that day when I saw when Doeg the Edomite was there. The word there new means I noticed. I noticed that Doeg was there. Remember, David's one of the highest-ranking officials in the government. He knows all of Saul's leaders. He recognized Doeg. He says, when I did all this, when I lied to your dad, I saw him. And then look at what David says here. I knew that he would surely tell Saul. The phrase there, surely tell, is, again, a Hebrew word that is doubled for emphasis. In other words, David, when he looked over, saw Doeg, saw the Doeg saw him, as he's lying to Ahimelech, he was convinced that this is what would happen, that Saul would get them somehow. Wait, 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 wait. David knew all the time that he was lying to Ahimelech that Saul would find out and do something like this. Maybe not exactly this, but something like this. Yep. And he lied anyway. And so after he lets that settle in, he says, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. That word occasioned the same word for turn when Saul gave the order to kill the priests. He says, Abiathar, Doeg might have wielded the sword, but I'm the one who surrounded him and murdered him. This is my fault. Now, that is heavy. And that's something that David would carry with him for the rest of his life. But I will say this. What a difference between David and Saul when they are confronted with their sin. David doesn't kind of go, oh, wow, man, that's just, that's just too bad. Don't know how that happened. No. David confesses his sin to this man who, he says, it's my fault your dad's dead. It's my fault all your, your family's dead. I knew, I knew something like this would happen. I mean, I know, maybe he did not know exactly this would happen, but I knew something like this would happen. I knew Saul would take vengeance against your family. I knew he'd do something. And this is why David is a man after God's heart. He understands what God wants. He doesn't try to color his sin to be more pretty. He doesn't try to blame others or scoot around his sin to make it less ugly. And this is why it's so important to fix your heart when you feel afraid. Because these are the kinds of devastating things that happen when we decide to let fear or selfishness rule our hearts. Others get hurt. So please don't do that. You got something going on and it's really frightening you right now. Bring your heart to the Lord. Take those thoughts captive. Put a guard in your heart through God's word and God's peace so that you don't bring that type of hurt through foolish decisions that you make when you're afraid. You might be saying, well, Pastor, what do I do if I've already made bad decisions like this? What if I've already brought harm to others because I didn't let God's word rule my heart and guard my heart and God's peace guard my heart? Well, David can't go back in time and bring all these people back to life. You cannot go back and change any of that, but you can bring your heart to the Lord and fix it so that you can make good decisions going forward. Look at what David does in verse 23. David says, abide thou with me. Remember that word abide, it means just sit down, rest. It says, Abiathar, find rest here. You're going to be okay here. You're going to be safe here. And don't fear. Don't make the same mistake I made. For he that seeks my life, seeks your life. How could Abiathar know that God would take care of him after everything else that's happened? Because being with David was the safest place to be right now. Because God's not going to let Saul kill David because God made David a promise. And so he tells Abiathar the lesson he learned. The same man who is powerless to kill me, even though our situation looks really bad, he will not be able to kill you if you are with me. David encourages this heartbroken, terrified man with the truth he learned from his own troubles. If you have made a bad decision in the past, the first thing you need to do is determine to comfort others who are going through the fear that you went through so they don't make the same mistake. To comfort them in the same way you've received comfort from the Lord. And then second, the second thing you need to do is do whatever it is, whatever is in your power to fix the situation you brought about. Look at what David says at the end. He says, but with me, you shall be in safeguard The phrase there, in safeguard, means to make it your mission to guard or protect someone. He says, Abiathar, I treated your family with selfishness and with deception. I commit to you right now, I will not do that with you. I will make sure you're protected. I will put you before myself. And you know, that's what repentance looks like. That's what repentance looks like. The word repentance means to change your mind, to turn around. And a repentant heart, that's what a fixed heart looks like too. David cried out, be merciful. And we got to the cave, be merciful unto me, O Lord. Don't destroy me. I have messed up big time. One prophet would say, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. David said, I can't do this on my own. I need you to take me somewhere that's above any place I can get to on my own. You're the only one that can lead me to safety. If your heart is overwhelmed, to run to the Lord. Let him lead you to a safe place. We love you, Lord, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com